Well, in the 155th episode of Seinfeld, a 90s sitcom, Elaine's boss, Mr. Lippman, had a struggling muffin shop. And he told Elaine about this and said, I'll give you 30% of the profits if you can turn it around. And Elaine said, why don't you make a full muffin and just cut off the bottoms and just serve the top? Because that's what people love, just the top of the muffin. And then call the shop top of the muffin to you. Well, um, it went well, but the problem was they couldn't find anyone to eat the bottom of the muffins. And uh, Elaine says, well, we'll just give it to the homeless shelter, right? And when they give it to the homeless shelter, um, the, the people at the homeless shelter are like, who do you think we are, right? And it causes a riot at the homeless shelter. And then she has nowhere to take all the bottom of the muffins, and she gives them to Kramer, and he uh, puts them in trash bags and dumps them off in the woods, and it's a crazy episode. You know what makes Seinfeld, um, you know, so awkwardly funny, I think, is because the characters in that show, they break the social norms. And what you see is when they break the social norms, uh, the, the just negative reaction, over-the-top negative reaction by angry New Yorkers to their actions. That's what makes it so funny, and you're just awkwardly cringing at the same time and laughing. Well, today, we are not going to see angry New Yorkers, but we're going to be seeing very upset Roman citizens. And the problem is, the way of salvation that is being shown to them disrupts their social norms. And it elicits a very violent response. Again, what we're going to see today is the way of salvation that these apostles give, it disrupts the social norms of Roman civilization. In return, it elicits a very violent response. So let's look together. We're in Acts chapter 16. It's printed in your worship guide. Um, and again, Acts is in the New Testament. And here we are. Acts 16, starting in verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas 
were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. The word of the Lord. We're just joining us. Welcome. We're in the book of Acts. We've been studying it this winter and this spring. And the book of Acts, again, follows these disciples, apostles, followers of Jesus after he's been resurrected and ascended. And it's following a 30-year period after the resurrection of Christ. And here Luke um, is one of the companions and is giving an eyewitness account of what he has experienced about this history of Christianity. And they are taking this message of Jesus around the world. And here they are on what is called the second missionary journey. And they've gone so far to northern Greece. Well, they've been led by God to northern Greece. It was a path they probably did not think they were going to have to take. They were probably thinking about taking the easier path that would have kept them in what is modern-day Turkey. But instead, the Lord led them across the Aegean Sea, this harder route. And they are part of a culture, many of these apostles, except Luke, who's from Philippi, uh, that is not very normative to them. It's a troop of four, Timothy, Paul, Silas, and Luke. And they're in this city of Philippi, which is known as Little Rome. And here they're telling the gospel about salvation through Jesus. And we see in their time in Philippi that Luke documents three different individuals that um, they encounter that come to faith. It's very interesting the people that Luke points out for us to see in the book of Acts about who he documents coming to faith. One, a single lady who's um, a merchant who um, trades in purple cloth, so she's probably pretty wealthy. Second, here a slave girl. And third, a Gentile jailer. These are all individuals who, in probably Hebrew culture and much of culture even in the Roman world, were overlooked. Some might say the bottom of the heap. But here, these are the people that God works in and through. And it shows the character of who God is. His care for everyone. His care for those that might be overlooked. And also we see that God's strategies for being able to give his message out is not simply by the strength of Paul and his abilities or these people, but no, out of God's ability to change people's hearts. So that there can be no glory to these apostles, but glory to what God is do doing and leading them to these types of people. You see specifically with this character, this young lady who is a slave, God is after the weak and the vulnerable. And he wants to free them. And you see that this system, this Roman world, has been using people for others' gain to benefit a kingdom in a world, in a system that might not be advantageous to, again, these types of people. And you see that this Roman world has a warped view of what real salvation is. What it means to be safe and secure. We're going to see as this girl talks about the way of salvation, what way do we fall when it comes to what is salvation? Is it the apostles' message and what they communicate? Is that the way of salvation? 
or is the way of salvation the Roman social norms? Which way do we fall? Well, we see that the apostles have spent a week in Philippi, and uh, they are going back to the place that they were the week before on the Sabbath, to uh, this place of prayer where they met Lydia. And you see, in going back to this place, they meet this young girl who has the spirit of, literally in the Greek, a spirit of a python. See, in this Roman world, in classical mythology, the snake was a symbol, a guard of the temple of Apollo. And the snake in, in Roman culture uh, would inspire female devotees with clairvoyance uh, to tell the future or to speak deep mysteries. And these young ladies would be outside of the temple speaking in these kind of ways. And this is one of these young ladies. We see this is quite a change from what we saw before. Last week we had Lydia who dealt in expensive clothes, who was free, who had her own household in her own home. And now we are seeing a girl that is a slave, being used by owners for this spiritual oppression that she has. For us in the modern world, a story like this might seem a little weird. If we encountered someone like this, we might think they have some sort of psychological disorder. They're screeching out in, as it says in the Greek, crying out. It's even more harsh than that in the Greek. That we might say, this person has a problem. It's pretty fashionable, especially in the 20th century, to distill human problems to psychological and sociological issues. That the very idea that there is some idea of transcendence or evil um, with people that are going through these kind of problems might seem archaic and old. But over the past years, even in academic circles, and seeing kind of the social service experiments of the 20th century to solve as many problems as we can through, through money or social services, that even in academic cir- circles, there has been much writing and thinking that there is something deeper in people that's going on that simply cannot be distilled to psychological or sociological problems. That there is actually evil. There is spiritual problems. That there is something transcendent. Think of even this situation, that people are paying the owners of this woman for what she is saying. Obviously, she is saying something that is bringing some truth. You know, she's able to predict the future. There is something going on in her, something spiritual that is causing her to be paid. We also see that this, this girl is being enslaved in a sense she's being used by others for this quote-unquote gift or possession. And this is really some of the great uneasiness of this passage. Just think about this, how eerie this scene must have been. Here is this girl that is following Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, screeching 
and crying out. For days she's around them, saying, you know, these are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And here the great kind of uneasiness is this is just kind of how this society works and people just kind of roll with it. And the great irony is that this this girl who is enslaved, screeching these things, is proclaiming there is a way of salvation that they have that she actually needs. I love Tim Keller's kind of thoughts on this passage about three days of facing this kind of people that here uh, Paul is, says he's annoyed, right? Sometimes we think, how can apostles be annoyed at certain things? I guess if I was with someone doing that for three days, I probably would be annoyed too. And Keller says a good thing. He says, Paul's not Jesus, right? It doesn't say with eyes of compassion, you know, he turned towards the slave girl and said, Spirit, come out of you. No, he's annoyed. Like, stop. We have to realize that Paul is not Jesus, right? He is a one that gets annoyed at these kind of situations. Again, more evidence for, I think, the truth of the scriptures. It's really just telling how people feel. And this is how Paul feels about this situation, even if it doesn't put him in the greatest light. But again, he's not Jesus, But again, here she is crying out, and here she is saying the Most High, which doesn't simply mean God, it could have meant Zeus, the way of salvation. It might not mean what Paul is preaching, but maybe this is a Greek idiom that's used many times, so there could have been ways that she was thinking as a way of salvation. But no matter whether she's talking about God himself, or whether he's talking in this uh, way of salvation of the apostles, No matter how you might see that, she now encounters Jesus. She encounters what apostles say is the good news, the true way of salvation. And it frees her. You see the spirit, the thing that is possessing her, comes out of her. And here she is faced with the kingdom and the message that the apostles are given. That Jesus is the one that has power over all areas of life. Even demons and evil things. He is the creator of all things. And she has encountered him. You know, when we use the word salvation, it is very loaded language in our culture. Because it's so tied to religion. You know, if I use the word salvation, usually people are thinking in religious terms. And even in this Greek culture, it is loaded. It was used as a Greek idiom, the way of salvation. Sometimes we need to just kind of step away from the language we've grown up in and seen when we think about salvation and think about what does salvation mean? means to be brought out safe and sound out of difficult situations. To be freed. And here, this young girl who has this evil spirit in her, 
whose society just goes with this practice that you can be enslaved and be used for money in this place, she is now saved. She is brought out of this, out of a difficult situation. The thing is, was that salvation for them? You see later in the passage, this is not what true safety and security is in keeping a society in order. It does ask a question of us. What is salvation in our current age? What is salvation for you? Is salvation that I would live a life that feels good, makes me happy, as long as I don't harm anyone else? That salvation is just living a life towards my own self-expression and what I feel? That is what real salvation is in our age. Think of how foreign and weird this message of the gospel and this message of salvation would have been to the Roman world. That here the apostles say, in the name of Jesus is salvation. In the name of Jesus is forgiveness of sins. That salvation isn't Roman power. It's not sexual freedom. It's not monetary freedom. It's not being able to predict the future. No, salvation is found in Jesus Christ. In what he has done on the cross. In his death and resurrection. That would have been a weird message for Philippi. Is it really that far from today? That when we would proclaim the message of salvation comes through Jesus. How weird would some people in our society say if we went to the tent cities in San Francisco or to Portland or to Seattle into these places where people are in drug-induced comas and in hazes that if we said there is salvation there is salvation from these situations that comes from the Lord if we went into our schools where there is anxiety and problems and issues and hear me I am not bashing the public schools I send my kids to public schools that if we went into these places and we said salvation can come to this place through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. If we went to middle America where there is an opiate addiction and we went to these places where people feel left behind and lost and we say there is a way of salvation that comes from Christ. Many are society, a majority of society, you are being simplistic. You are being weird. There is no way. Let's take it from the macro level to the micro level. To the dysfunction maybe in our own families. 
the abuse of drugs or relationships with maybe our uncle or aunts or our cousins or our sister or our parents. And to say there is a way of salvation. What is our way of salvation? Some of us might not be too far from this girl. Stuck in slavery. Saying money will rescue me. If I'm finally in this relationship, I will be saved. How I look in the mirror and how I weigh, that will make me free. And that will be my way of salvation. Success, happiness, and we are crying out. And here, Paul and Silas, in this kind of society, in this kind of culture... They are showing a freedom from oppression. Maybe in a society that supports and lifts up these things, maybe this message needs to come to you, that you know that there can be freedom. You might say, well, I'm good, I'm fine. How do we know, though, if we're pressed a little bit more, what our way of salvation is? I think we're going to see in the latter part of this passage, when our way of salvation is threatened, we actually find out what we trust in for our salvation. So here's what happens. The Spirit is out of this girl, and then all pandemonium breaks out. It says here, the hope of gain, it's actually using the same Greek word for the spirit coming out of this girl, has left these owners. You see where their salvation lies. It's in using money for this girl. And you see that their hope is taken out just in the way the spirit has been taken out of this girl. Their money and their livelihood has been threatened. And now they are riled up. So what do they do? Well, they kind of make up something or exaggerate the situation to bring others on their side. They say, look, here are Jews. They're bringing up the cultural divisions between Jews and Gentiles. Here they're destabilizing the peace of the city. Again, that's an important value for the Roman world, that there would not be this consternation within the city. These men are bringing up destabilization within Philippi. And they're saying that their customs, their way of life, of enslaving someone to share these things, they're saying this is the way to go. This is what brings peace to our city, even if it is spiritual possession and oppression. And you see what happens as they rile it up, there's a violent response because the upending of life in Philippi. It's probably Timothy and Luke, uh, maybe because of their Gentile backgrounds, are not brought into this. But we see that Paul and Silas are stripped. They're flogged. This is one of three times that Paul mentions that he is flogged and beaten. 
They're put into jail, into a secure spot, so they, they might not continue to be a problem. And they're put into stocks, these wooden stocks that might have stretched them and been very, very painful. It's interesting that the kind of response that um, Rome has is not far from the response that when Jesus had, when he also did the same kind of things in his ministry. Luke mentions that Jesus, when he freed a spirit from a man and sent it into the pigs, the spirits went into the, the pigs, the pigs went off into the sea. And the people of the town, they did not think, oh, amazing, this man has been freed and no longer demon-possessed. They are very, very upset that the pigs are gone and they kicked Jesus out of town. John Stott did a good job of pointing out that Luke constantly points out in both Luke and in Acts that the material concerns of people distort their perception of what is good. And that is what's happening here. This passage should shock us with the disproportionate response that Rome has to what is happening in this situation. Here the apostles are, trying to remain as low-key as possible as they're in this society where they go ahead and just find this girl just cries out and screams out as it oppressed. They're trying not to make a big scene, going to their own places away from the city to share the gospel, but after enough of being annoyed, they cast the demon out, and then because they change the culture of what Rome wants, people get incredibly upset. I mean, who responds this way? Who would get so upset about that? Manipulating, lying, violence, anger, because something does not go their way. Uh, I think when you have teenagers, you realize what happens, how people respond when things don't go their way. Um, I don't know if you ever tried to take a cell phone away from a teenager, uh, but usually it can sometimes um, be an angry response. Not saying to my girls that do that. I'm not pointing at Morgan or anything like that. Um, she's fine with it. Um, but maybe you find that in your household, TV privileges or computer privileges. You realize what salvation is for your kids at times. Surely we don't act that way when things get taken away from us. Someone challenges your position at work. Or maybe your money is threatened in some way. See, our reactions to things being taken might reveal what our hope is and what our salvation is. I hope there's pushback. Maybe there's pushback from Morgan. I, Morgan doesn't do this, but don't make me feel guilty for my reactions. Right? The injustice of my parents taking my phone. You don't realize the injustice that my parents give against me. Or the injustice of a position at work. You don't know what it's like to consistently be passed over. Or maybe a financial thing that has gone wrong. A neighbor has done something or whatever it might be. The injustice you might have faced in that situation. Hear me. 
I am not arguing that sometimes things in life are unjust. I'm just wondering if our reaction to situations might show where our salvation is. Many times we have to catch ourselves. When we say things like, God, you don't know what it's like to face this situation. To suffer unjustly. You don't know what it's like to suffer in this world. See, the message of the good news of the gospel says this. Jesus knows injustice. He knows what it's like for things to be taken away. He knows what it's like to come into a world and society that thinks they're doing it the right way. And then when he tries to reorder the world, that this is the way to really love people. This is the way to care for the poor and the oppressed. This is the way to break systems of oppression, of how people respond when he is trying to bring justice and love and grace into the world. And his, what is his response when they crucify him? Father, forgive them. Father, I trust in you that you are bringing justice out of this situation. Lord, I will still love them even if they treat me this way. Let's not just take it to the micro level, right? This is, I think, the macro level. This is Roman society we see happening. There is anger in society with the message of the gospel and the good news. And I'm not just saying from the left. I'm not just saying from the right. It's in both places. When people feel like our culture, American culture, is being threatened... People get angry and violent. They belittle their enemies. And here we might wonder if the way of salvation for people that feel that way is not in the name of Jesus, but instead in the flag or our nation. What is our way of salvation? Or the violent response that people have when maybe their self-expression is challenged. When they say, I just want to live the way I want to live. And how upset they get when that might be challenged to say there's a better way. I find it very interesting as Christians why we're surprised that people respond the way they do to the message of the gospel. It upends the social norms. But it's a message that truly frees people from oppression and slavery and sin, from things that will not satisfy and be eternal. I'm just so blown away with the picture we are left with in this passage. What did Silas and Paul say? How dare you put us into jail? 
right? Did they automatically express their Roman citizenship? No. They say this is unjust. This woman was threatening us. Get us out of here. No, instead, it says, in about midnight, Paul and Silas, while they were in stocks, in jail, for something unjustly done to them, they sung hymns to God. Who are these people? Despite their suffering, they rejoice because they trust in the salvation of the Lord. They know that their Savior is Jesus, who even when he faced injustice, even when, when he went to the cross, he loved and cared and forgave other people. And they said, even in this place, we will sing to a great God that we know is our way of salvation, even when the world responds in a negative way to what we are trying to do to free them. When you face suffering, is that your response? Lord, I trust in you. You are my refuge. You are my strength. You are protecting me. My citizenship is in you. Even if things are being threatened in my life, even if the culture might be against me, I trust in you and I know I can respond in love. 